Thank you for checking out the Warehouse Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you. Take a moment and visit us at warehousechurch.com. Wherever you are, we hope this message encourages you today. Now, here's Pastor Ed. I bet some of you are saying, what in the world is that? Good morning, everybody. Good to see you in the house today. Um, had some nice notes from some folks uh, on Facebook and text messaging, Kim and I. Uh, we, were, we went to a conference last week on the East Coast, but we winded up staying for the weekend so we could be with Kim's mom over uh, Labor Day weekend. It was just a, it was a good time for us to go check in on her and see her and uh, do some things in her house and so forth. So thank you for your kindness and understanding that. And I hope you had a good holiday weekend last weekend. And I'm really excited about this new series we're starting and we're really not going to talk about underwear, so you can relax a little bit. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be awkward, I promise you. But uh, I want to invite your attention, if you'll turn there with me, to John chapter 4, uh, verses. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read a good portion of the chapter. I want to ask you this question while you're looking there. Uh, there's, there's, there's two different places I want you to think about this morning. A place where you can absolutely get away with lying, and a place that you can never get away with lying. Okay, and let me, let, me, let me submit this idea to you this morning and provoke your thinking. A place that you can get away with lying, I believe, is church. Now, now think about that. You say, oh, pastor, I would never lie in church. I'm not accusing anybody of being a liar, so tell somebody you're sitting next to, I know you're very truthful. Tell them that. I know you're very truthful. And then we heard some laughs afterwards. That's very interesting, Okay. So here's the thing about church, if you think about this, if, if you go to church, people know you go to church. You told friends yesterday, hey, let's go have a picnic tomorrow. Well, I'm going to church tomorrow morning. Then there's kind of a perception that comes with people that go to church. We kind of give off this vibe that because we go to church, we have it all together. You, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, because we go to church right now, if we were to send a secret video camera to your house, I know that everybody's house in our church this morning is very clean. Okay, oh, that's good. I know your beds are made this morning. I know everything was put away after your little breakfast this morning. Uh, the truth is if you had breakfast, you know, uh, but there, there's a, our laundry is all caught up. Our bills are all paid. We even have a roast in the crock pot for after church for Sunday family supper today. Why? Because we go to church, right? Because we got it all together. Because I go to church, my marriage is perfect and my wife and I never argue. There's some crickets in here somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where they were, but I heard them over there. Uh, because I go to church, my kids are angels and never do anything wrong. <laughs> Amen, right? Uh, I, I was blessed this morning, my daughter Emily was leading worship for Katie. Our worship leader, Katie, is at a wedding this weekend from her college best friend. And uh, we were so blessed yesterday to see Emily play. Her team, her volleyball team that she plays on, played in Arlington yesterday. And yesterday was her 20th birthday. So I'm no longer a parent of teenagers. I made it. So that's a kind of an accomplishment for us as a family. But uh, my kids are perfect. I'd be glad to talk to you about it privately when they're not around. Anyway, because you go to church, here's another really good one. Because you go to church, 
you feel great about yourself and have no insecurities. That's probably not true, is it? It's amazing the things that kind of come along with us being Christians. You know, the thing about Christianity and going to church, there's like this, this lifestyle thing that we have to kind of fall into where because I'm a Christian, I, need, I, I now need to have, you know, like verse placards in my house. Joshua 24, 15 is on my house. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And just like Notre Dame, when they're coming out of their, temp, their, their, their tunnel to play a football game and reach up and hit that. So we hit that sign every morning on the way out. We're going to serve the Lord today. We're going to be perfect Christians today. We're not going to get mad at people that drive crazy around us. And we're not going to be one of those crazy drivers. We're not going to get mad at people with work. And you know what? It seems that there's this perception of this. I, 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 something funny happened to me a couple years ago. I took my um, student pastor at our former church, Wesley, who's been here before. Uh, he pastors in Orlando. And I'm, we're going to talk about Florida at the end of the, uh, of the service and how we need to pray and really re, you know, cry out to God on behalf, especially for Tampa. Because that could really turn into a, a situation like uh, New Orleans did a few years ago with Katrina. But Wesley, um, when he first started working for me right out of college, I took him on a couple hospital visits. And one of the things I told him, you know, when you, when you get done seeing somebody at the hospital, you know, you want to reach down and hold their hand and pray for them or, you know, do one of those things. There's more germs in a hospital than, than there is just about anywhere. So on the way out, make sure you hit that little, that little pumpy thing and, you know, sanitize your hands a little bit. How many of you have hand sanitizer on you this morning? Okay. Lisa, don't, it's okay. Don't be a ha- I have it in my car. I keep hand sanitizer in my car. You do because the people you're sitting next to. It's all, you know, whatever it is, it is, you know. But, you know, because, because we like this really, really, we, we, we want everything sanitized and clean. And it's really true about our life. But Wesley made a mistake one time. He went in. I said, okay, this is your hospital visit. I'm just going to go with you. You take care of the whole thing. You talk to them. You encourage them. You pray with them. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here to be with you. So he, you know, he did a great job. He went up to the lady that was in there and gave her a little hug and prayed with her and held her hand. And then he, and then he stood in front of her like this for about 10 seconds and said, excuse me, and he did the hand sanitizer right in front of her, which is something you shouldn't do. You wait till you leave the room to wash your hands. You don't hurt the person's feelings. That was good stuff right there. That's a freebie for you. So, but we like this super sanitized life. And here's the truth. We like, now listen to me. Tell me if you understand what I'm saying. We like the perception of a super sanitized life. The perception means I'm a great parent. The perception means my marriage is perfect. The perception means I want to give off the vibe that everything is A-OK with me. And here's the truth of the matter. There's not a man or woman in this room that at some level in your life, in your family, in your past, maybe in your present, and perhaps even it could be part of your future, you may have a little bit of a messy life. And you know what? That's okay. Because life is very, very messy sometimes. But we, when, when we kind of go through this cultural change of, of modern day Christianity, we kind of want to take on some of the attributes of what their perception is of what Christians are supposed to be like. Everything's good with me. I got everything taken care of. There's no problems. There's no messes. There's no strife. There's no issues. But you know what? You know what that is? Uh, that, that we're giving off to a lot of people, a big, fat, hairy lie. That's not transparent living. 
Because that perception of perfection, that perception of it's all good, that perception of I have it all together really makes folks that are unchurched or folks that don't have a relationship with Christ or folks that maybe have a distorted perception of Christianity, you know what that does? Between the, and I want to be very careful how I say this, between the us's and them's of the world, it builds walls and not bridges. Because we've become very out of touch with our own messes. We become out of touch with our own pain. Uh, I, 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 I have the privilege of pastoring this church, and I, boy, it's, it's the greatest privilege of my life to be able to stand before you and read the Word of God and, and teach it. And, and somebody said to me recently, Pastor, what's the hardest thing about pastoring? I said, the hardest thing about pastoring is living what I teach. I love to teach the word. I love to learn the word of God. It, it, it is. I'm, 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 I'm starting to understand it even better now after being safe for a few years. But, but it, it's amazing how the sharing truth is much differently than living truth. But you wouldn't want me standing in front of you every week saying, I had a tough time with my thought life this week. Would, would you want that? You want me, wouldn't want me standing in front of you as the pastor telling you that me and my wife had a knockdown, drag-out fight this week, which we didn't. (laughs) But you wouldn't want to hear that. What you want is the perception of he's got it all together. He's the example of what a pastor should be when the fact of the matter is all of us, starting here, have a life that represents a little bit of a mess. And there's big messes and little messes. And, you know, your mess is real for you. My my messes are, are, are real for me. I know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if, if, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and there was a change that took place in my life. When I gave my life to Christ in my mid-20s, I was saved when I was a boy, but didn't fully get, you know, how much life change can happen when you're 12? You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, my, my kids were saved young too. And, 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 you know, the expectation of, wow, they're going to be perfect kids now, it's just really not reality. But I came to a point in my life in my mid-20s when I was looking at my life, looking at the mirror of my life, understanding the kind of father I was being, the kind of husband I was being. And, and I was abusing alcohol. I was u- using drugs. I was not uh, in the moment with my family the way that I should have been. Uh, in my young 20s, my life was a mess. And God really rocked my world when, when a guy said to me one time, hey, you know what you're going to look like when you're my age? And the guy was about 50 and I was about 20, 25 He said, you're going to look just like me because you're making the same mistakes that I did. And I don't think that guy understood. His name was Chuck, and he was a postal worker. I don't think he understood the impact that that had on me because I knew knew the path that I was on was headed for divorce, destruction, hurting my kids, and absolutely ruining my life. But we don't like that kind of stuff. We want the stuff that we're praying for this person to get saved, or we're sending money to help the flood victims, or we're... You know, our church is growing. But, but, but real, authentic, transparent living, that's a tough thing. You know there's a place where you can't lie about who you are? The stinking doctors. Isn't that the truth? You've heard me talk about this before too, but um, it's funny. You go into the doctors, doctor says to you, how you been feeling? You can't lie to your doctor, right? How, how you been doing on your diet, Ed? They don't even have to say that. Can you please stand on the scale? I had a nurse say to me one time, this is for you, Lisa. I had a nurse say to me one time, I got on on the scale, 
and, and she had the, you know, the big gigantor weight thing, the, 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 you know, when you cross over where you don't want to cross over if you're on the edge of that. She put it on 200. I said, sweet girl. That's just not going to cut it. So she bumped it up to 250. I said, one more. And this is, what, this is what this nurse said to me who didn't learn protocol, who was not sensitive to my feelings at the doctor's that day. You're the first person I ever had to put the, the 300, the 300 thing on. Yeah, it made me feel really, I need to cry right now, I think. I don't know. But so then the doctor says to me, how you been doing on your diet, right? He doesn't have to ask me that. He can look at the, he can look at the, oh, so you gained two pounds since your last visit. And you know what I said to him because of that? Yeah, but it's been three months. That's only a half a pound a month. That's not that bad, you know? Oh, Ed, you got, and then, then of course, they look at the, the blood pressure thing. That one doesn't fit. They put a second one on me. That's a true story. They're going like this. Blood pressure was up a little bit. They said, Mr. Trinkle, have you been taking your blood pressure medicine? Yeah, but I'm really scared because that nurse just told me I was fat, you know, and all that. But, but I can't lie. We'll go into the bathroom, do your business in a cup. We're going to take a bunch of blood, and we're going to tell you exactly how you are. Because you know what you can't do? You can't lie about it. And you know, what, and you know that feeling of standing there in that really, really comfortable paper nightgown? Or polka dot boxers that you have when you're at the doctor. I want you to kind of think about that today spiritually. Because we're going to talk about a lady today that couldn't hide from her stuff from Jesus. You know, she met Jesus, this lady. It's a story of, uh, of this woman at a well. And it's a great, great story. And it really is very compelling to think about uh, about what happens if you and I have a real confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 4, we're going to talk about this woman. And man, there are so many layers. I'm not even going to be able to get to all of them probably today. So many layers to this story, culturally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, the disciples. Man, there's, there's things going on all over the place of the story. But I want us to kind of think about this lady that Jesus meets uh, at, at the well there that day. John chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. And that, 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 that's, there's some implications there too because the Pharisees were people that the Bible described in John chapter 1 as that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. These people that said, we're followers of God, we're the keepers of your religion, we're the ones that you should live your life like, had no idea who Jesus was when Jesus was standing right in front of him. And, and because they were, they were religious, but they really didn't have a real relationship with God. So verse number four, it says, he had to go through Samaria, big, big deal, on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, can you please give me something to drink? He was all alone at the time because, he, uh, because his disciples, he sent his disciples into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised because Jews uh, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for something to drink? 
And Jesus said, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never thirst again. It, be, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. I want to come here to get that water. And then listen to what Jesus does. Jesus knew her. This was, this was what Jesus wanted to pour into this, young, this lady's life, okay? He said to this lady, okay, go get your husband, right? And then in verse 17, the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. Again, now, you could just feel the awkwardness kind of building here, right? And this is, this is what Jesus says to her. You're right, you don't have a husband. For you have five husbands, and you're not even married to the man that you're living with now. You spoke the truth. Now, can that be more relevant culturally, even though this happened a couple thousand years ago? You know? I mean, can you imagine having this conversation with somebody about, about that part of their life, about the, you know, their private part of their life like that? And it would come across maybe condescending, but, but you have to follow what's going on here with what Jesus is doing in this lady's life. Verse 19, the woman says, sir, you're a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Now earlier she kept, so this is really cool. Earlier she twice referred to what they had in common. Jacob, my father, built this well for his son Joseph. My father, our father, our father, because Jews and Samaritans all the way back then were connected, right? Our father, Jacob, built us this well where we could draw this water. And then when Jesus puts a little wall up there, she was used to the religious stuff. She was used to, uh, uh, she was used to racism uh, between, and listen, let me tell you something. Ra- racism is a very relevant issue today, but it didn't start in the 60s or in the 1700s, or in the 1600s with slavery, or you know when it started? All the way back in the book of Genesis is, is when racism started. So racism's very, very real between the Jews uh, and, and the uh, Samaritans here. And Jesus said this in verse 21. Now he's, gonna, now he's gonna talk love into her. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, whether it's on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation came through the Jews. But the time is coming, and it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You've heard, you may have heard that verse before, where we're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. Did, did you realize it was connected to the story where Jesus is talking to this woman who's living a, a very scandalous lifestyle, if you could say that kindly? He says, the time is coming, coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So he evens the playing field. He says, it's not just about the Jews or Gentiles. God's looking for people who will authentically worship him. For God is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said this, she's getting closer. 
I know the Messiah is coming, the one that is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Ready? They have something in common again. And Jesus says this to her, I am the Messiah. Somebody say amen to that. He said, I am the Messiah. I'm the guy that they keep talking about that's going to come someday. I'm the one. Man, what a life-changing statement that was for her. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to the woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want to do with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village. You know what she did? She told everybody. She told everybody, verse 29, come and see the man who told me everything that I did. Could this possibly be the Messiah? And then in verse 30 it says, so the people came streaming in from the village all around him. What a great, great story about Jesus offering her the real thing. Remember Coca-Cola a couple years ago? It's the real thing. You know, it's the real thing. You know what that lady met there that day? The real thing. She learned about religion. She knew it separated the Jews and the Samaritans. She was very familiar with that. But she met Jesus Christ face to face that day. And it had, what an impact it had on her life. So let me tell you about being thirsty for the real thing and some significant parts of the story. Here's the first thing. Jesus' meeting with this woman was a divine appointment. Now think about some of the things that happened in the story. Jesus was traveling and went where it was very uncomfortable for him to go. For the disciples, they were probably thinking, he wants to go through Samaria? I hope we walk or ride or catch an Uber donkey or get who through here really, really fast because this is a place that I am very... Those disciples were very uncomfortable. Like I said, there was extreme racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. And they knew each other's differences, as spoken here by this woman. But Jesus had a divine appointment, so much so that... When he went to the well to offer this lady living water by asking for himself to get a glass of water for his physical thirst, you know what he did? He sent away from him the guys who were his traveling buddies that he was teaching and rebuking and teaching and rebuking and challenging and teaching and challenging and teaching. And here, let, let, let me stop there for a second. We're just like the disciples because we constantly need to be taught and we constantly need to be corrected. And listen, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Here's the truth. When you get saved, you don't get perfection dust sprinkled over your body. I'm never going to make a mistake again because I'm a Christian now. No, you know what it means? It means that, that you understand your sin a little bit better. You understand that Jesus paid for it. And you understand that you can go to that well of forgiveness anytime that you ask. That's what God wants with us. The lady didn't understand that at the time. But can I tell you something? The disciples, the followers of Jesus weren't ready to be part of this meeting with this lady. Because you know why? They were just super Jews. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle this meeting with this crazy lady. They couldn't handle this meeting with this lady's crazy lifestyle. Because you know what they weren't in touch with? Their own past and their own mess. We met Jesus. Think about this for a second. I was reading the story this week uh, in the book of Matthew about the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration is a story when Jesus takes three of his disciples, he was really close to the inner circle, right? It was Peter and John and um, my mind just went zippy-doo. James, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John. They go up the Mount of Transfiguration. You, you are the man, Jack. I need, can you just come up here and help me for a minute? I'm just, I'm just, 
I've got like nine directions I'm going in my head right now. I've got to hone it in. But Peter, James, and John go up. And listen to what the disciples say. They saw Jesus in his glorified body. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. And you know what they said? It's really, really good for us to be here today. This is really good. We got high privilege. We got to see Jesus' body. Jesus, let's, can we make some altars so that we can worship you guys here? And Jesus was like, oh, you guys just don't get it. You just don't get it. Because them following Jesus until his crucifixion, and they really understood who he really, really was, was about them. And man, is that not a great analogy or modern day picture of what modern Christianity is like today? I go to church. I'm super sanitized. My family's clean. We go to church. We're Christians. We not only go to church, we go to a Baptist church. So we're like next level Christians. Right? Super strict, super this, super that. All, and that's the perception, listen, that we foster and it turns people off away from us. Because we think we're better. Oh, we've, we're, we've done all that. You know, we've, we've been past that. We've got, we've got that all that covered. And the world, we just created this huge, this, this huge wall between us and the world. And Jesus, you know what he was doing with this lady breaking down barriers? You know what he had to do? Jesus, not, not only was this, this meeting with, with this woman a divine appointment, here's the second thing. Jesus had to remove the distractions. And you know who the distractions were? The disciples. He, guys, I'm going to get a glass of water. You go into town and go get us some food, right? And that seemed to really spark their interest many times in the, in, in the, in the uh, Gospels. Oh, yeah, we got to go get food, feed all these people. Oh, yeah, we got to go get food. We're tired. Let's go rest. Let's do this. We, we get to be with Jesus alone. We get to be with Jesus alone. And sometimes that's what Christianity is like, you know. We get to go to church. We get to worship. We get to sing. We get to be with other Christians. We get to get up on Sunday morning and get our church on. And all this, this stuff that we do that thinks that makes us more spiritual or more better. And Jesus just told this lady, it has nothing to do with where you worship how you worship. God is looking for true worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth. So he broke down all the walls of the Jews and the Samaritans all in that one meeting with this lady who basically was a prostitute. And I'm not speaking ugly about her. I'm just reading what the Bible says. And they just didn't get it. The disciples weren't ready for it. So Jesus had to remove the distractions. They weren't ready for this kind of meeting. Here's number three. Jesus broke cultural protocol. Jesus broke cultural protocol. Listen, it was a big deal for Jesus to meet with a woman alone in the middle of the day. It was. You know, if you walked into a restaurant and saw me sitting with a woman who wasn't my wife, you would say, her, that looks a little odd, you know. Uh, our vice president got slammed for that. He was, he was slammed for that because people made it seem that he was degrading women when, in fact, he was elevating them. But we're not going to talk about politics today. Somebody say amen to that, okay. So, so but here, here's the thing. Jesus broke some, some pretty serious cultural protocol. Not only did he meet with a woman, he met with her alone. Not only did he meet with a woman and meet with her alone, he asked something of her. Miss, can, can you do me a solid? I am really, really thirsty. And listen, it's not just about getting a glass of water. He was asking her to have a subservient relationship. Can you do something for me? And listen, I, I hope you haven't been exposed to, 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 to you know, to the super-duper sex culture, all that stuff. But you know what? 
and, and listen, this may seem like a stretch, and you may say, I don't know if I fully agree with what you're saying, but I want you to think about this. A meeting with somebody like that usually starts off with a drink. You say, oh, that's kind of a stretch a little bit, right? But doesn't it start off with a one-on-one conversation? And it wasn't an alcohol drink. Don't go home and go tell everybody, my pastor said Jesus was an alcoholic. Didn't say it. Relax. We'll talk about drinking on another Sunday, probably in 60 years from now, but we'll do it, okay? But here's the thing. Jesus broke some pretty serious cultural protocol. And here's the other piece. She was just some, you could take all that stuff about sexual pervasiveness and about perception and all. Listen, he talked to his mortal enemy as far as culture was concerned. You could get all that stuff and maybe it's loose and eh, maybe I agree with it or don't disagree. But here, here's fact, fact, fact. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. He broke cultural protocol. And, and here's what we understand about this. And, and, I, want, and I, want, I really want to challenge you about this. Are you willing to get uncomfortable to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ? You know, this thing about the, the, the theme that we had, I wanted, to, I wanted to use a theme that was a little provocative or provoking is probably a better word, to provoke you to have conversations that are uncomfortable with people about church and about Jesus and about perhaps your faith. Uh, I talked to a businessman in our church this week who's leading a life group and, and invited some guys from his work. And in that conversation, of, of him telling others to come to church, you could tell the victory that was in his heart about it, but also that, man, it was just kind of awkward because you just, uh, what, what boundaries are we allowed to cross in the workplace? It's, it's just, it's difficult at best, right? But Jesus didn't call any of us to live this sanitized, comfortable Christian life. He called, listen, when you share with somebody your faith, when you share with somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you talk to somebody about your life change, let me promise you something. It is a confrontational because they have to react to it. Now, it's not, I'm better than, it's not talking down to them. But if you look at the Apostle Paul and every time he talked to people about his conversion, it was, it, the way that it was received was very, very interesting because Paul told people, listen, Paul's telling people about his conversion. This is what he says. I'm on the way to kill people in Damascus and I met Jesus. You know what those people heard? You're a murderer, right? The disciples were far away. They knew Jesus. They knew what he did. They knew that he healed. They knew that he spoke truth. They knew that he loved people that most people didn't love. They saw him loving on tax collectors. They saw him loving all these crazy people. Here they come with their bag of groceries. They're like, oh, what is Jesus doing talking to that woman? Doesn't he see the way she's dressed? Doesn't he see the way that the lifestyle that she has? Doesn't he understand that he can't talk to her? They weren't ready for it. But when Jesus was talking to her, he was okay with being uncomfortable so that she would be able to receive that living water. And listen, spiritual conversation, it's ingrained into us. It's almost an American, you know, it's really funny. When I was a missionary in the Philippines, this, this was really funny. We were visiting a good friend of ours at a great church in downtown Manila. And his great church in downtown Manila, it was really funny. We felt like we were walking into an American Filipino church because all the guys in the church had ties on. This is 20 years ago and people used to wear ties to church every We've been set free from wearing ties. Somebody say Amen. For me, it's just a sweat thing. I don't hate ties, but it just kind of just makes it worse. So anyway, we go, and they're all wearing, and it was just kind of interesting. I'm like, could you, 
You don't, there was no place to buy ties. And these people were in a third world country. Where did they get a tie at? And then we started singing in church. I knew all the songs. I was pumped up, you know. Amazing Grace. They sung a bunch of hymns that we, that we sang where I grew up in church. It was cool. And I looked down and picked up this hymnal. And this is what it said. God is my witness. All American hymnal. You say, what's the big deal? In the Philippines. In a foreign country. You know what we were teaching Filipino Christians to be? American Christians. A pastor was there a week before. The missionary was so pumped up. A pastor was there the week before. Brought two suitcases full of shirts and ties for the Filipino guys in their church. The week or and this is what the pastor said. You need to teach your people how to dress up for church. What is that? That's Americanizing Christianity. And, it was, and frankly, it was wrong because you know what? This church, you think it's hot in Dallas? Man, it was, can, how many people would come to church? Listen to this. How many of you, how many, I don't even know if I would be here. How many of you would come to church next week if it was 100 degrees, ready? 100 degrees in Dallas, who cares? And no air conditioning. Would you sit through an hour church service? I don't know if you would. Maybe you would, but I could promise you we would be done church really early that day because I would melt. I would be done. I'd be sweating. My, I'm sweating right now, and it's, it's nice and cool in here. But we've made this sanitized Christianity that we want, we want people to be like, when we want people to be like us, it ought to be because we're followers of Christ, not because we're American Christians. Because here's the thing that's very, very true about Dallas, Texas in this area. Dallas, Texas has become and is becoming the greatest melting pot of cultures, not just in the United States, but in the world. You know, you know, Richardson, Texas, Richardson, Texas has more Chinese. You ready for this? Not just percentage-wise, but numbers than Dallas, Texas has. More Chinese people live in, Dallas, in Richardson, Texas than live in Dallas, Texas. What does that mean? Do you know how many Indian families are moving into Dallas? When we lived at this apartment that was Catacorner, we, and we, we were part of a ministry over there at our, at our uh, apartment complex, we'd go knocking on doors, invite people to church, and talk to them. A lot of the apartments had eight to ten people in one-bedroom apartments that had just moved here looking for jobs, looking to get settled, chasing after the American dream, right? Indian folks are moving here by the droves, okay? The refugee thing that we hear all about, oh, the refugees, you know? There are people move. There are pe this area is one of the fastest growing in population in the United States of America. Latinos, Chinese, um, just all across the board. They're all moving here, and, and and what happens is, and it's really true about our church. What happens is, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said that Sunday was 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 the day of the week where there was more segregation than any other day of the week. Because generally speaking, the whites go to white churches, the blacks go to black churches, the Hispanics go to Hispanic churches, the Chinese go to Chinese churches, the this one's... And listen, if I've said anything that sounds offensive, I'm not really trying not to be offensive. I'm trying to just give you some facts to understand. We've done a lot to separate ourselves from people. I said this, I don't know if I said it on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night, and if I'm repeating a story, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it. Um... Kim and I just moved into a house in Plano um, probably about two months ago. Big fixer-upper thing. We were in there every day, you know, getting dirty and doing what we had to do to get our house cleaned up and fixed up. And um, started meeting our neighbors. And we got, I've got, got a little grid of my three neighbors behind me, 
uh, is a Korean gentleman, uh, a white family, and another white family. The white family that's behind me goes to a different church in the area. The Korean dude's kind of mad at me a little bit right now because he sees that I'm upset with his uh, landscaper because he keeps blowing grass on my car every time he cuts his grass. And it's driving me crazy. So i got to figure out how to take care of that, right? So this, uh, you know, and I met this other guy across the street that used to send his kids to Canyon Creek Christian Academy, came here 10 years ago, and then started to tell me about nine or 10 other churches that he's been to, right? And, and he was a nice guy. He was very nice. This family over here is an African family that's catacornered to us that just had a loved one pass away. And every day last week, cars were all the way around our block, up and down our street every day. They came to our house 9.30 the other night, knocked on the door. Hey, we're really sorry. We're taking up all these spots. We just had somebody pass away. And then there's a family that's across the street from us. I think they're Indian. I'm not sure. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, that's my guess, okay? I'm not saying that in an ugly way. And when we moved in, this lady came over, and, she, and they're Muslim. All the ladies are wearing the headdress stuff. And they brought us over fried chicken for dinner one night. And then when we came back from, from Europe, do all that trip we went to this summer, she had her son bring over a dessert plate to us because she said, I knew you'd be tired from traveling. And I started to think to myself, that was a bigger demonstration of Jesus than any of my other neighbors showed me. Listen, I'm saved. They don't, I, I'm okay. My feelings weren't hurt. I'm not crying saying, somebody please tell me about Jesus. But I've been here for two and a half years in Dallas, Texas. And you know how many times people have invited me to church or, or asked me if I'm a believer or witnessed to me or shared with me a gospel track or gave me a card? zippity doo dah. No, it's me. I, I'm saved. I'm not trying to get other Christians to come. I'm, I'm good. I'm super solid, secure. But I think that's an example of the separation that we put between us and the unclean, that's our perception, or the different. And Jesus broke down all those cultural barriers with that one conversation. Just, I want you to think about that. Let me, let me wrap this up here. Uh, Jesus, I, I, I needed to throw some Philly in, in my message because I was in Philadelphia last week. So Jesus made her an offer she couldn't refuse. Well, think about this. She's at a well. Can you give me some water, please? Can, can, I'm, I'm thirsty. Can you? Oh, how can I get you water? I'm Samaritan. You're Jewish. Da, 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 da. Jesus said, if you only knew who I was. If you knew who I was, knew what you would understand. If you asked me for water, you would never be thirsty again. That's an offer she couldn't refuse. But I want you to think about this for a second. The one thing that they had in common, the one... He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. He's God, she doesn't know this yet. He's God, she found out later he was the Messiah. He's God, she's a human being. He's a man, she's a woman. He's traveling through, that's her home. They worship in Jerusalem, she worships on some mountain that I can hardly say the name of, right? Opposite, opposite, opposite. What did they have in common? They both needed water. They both needed water. And you know what's really something about, about people? All people have basic, basic needs no matter where you live. We all need food, we all need water, and we all need shelter. And you know what else we all need too? We need to be loved. Um, a few years ago, I went to Kenya with a dear friend of mine that's sitting in the back row over there with her family's church from Wisconsin. I and mean, you know what we made? We made a mud house. And it was awesome. It was, it, it's an experience I'll never forget in my life. And we were, uh, we were there, and what we had to do was we we dug up dirt because it was really, really dry ground. 
We dug up dirt. We walked about half a mile, maybe a mile, to go get some water from this big pump thing that, you, you, that you've seen on TV. And you carry these big jugs of water over. You dump it into a hole with this dry dirt. And you know how you mix the dirt? Take your shoes off. And you start walking around it like, like it's a wine press. So there were three of us all kind of holding arms, walking with us. What are we doing? We're making mud. What if I step on a stone? Your foot's going to get cut. What if my foot gets cut and I get an infection? We'll get you to a nurse. What if it's really, really bad? You'll get over it. We got to do this. All these, And there was at least 100 African people watching these big, fat, white people. I'm only talking about me. Making these bricks. And so you take them up, and basically what you do is you make it like a snowball. I know that's foreign to some of you, but you pick it up, and you kind of cup it like a ball, like a snowball. And there were bamboo strips going all the way up on one side of the house and down the other. And you just start lining up these muddy bricks, and then you take a, a, like a scoop of it. And it's like you're scooping the inside of a dirty diaper out. It's exactly what it is because it's gross and it stinks. You scoop it up, and you just start smoothing on the outside. And by the end of the day, that house was fully enclosed and you know what's really crazy? This one lady who the house was for, she couldn't, she couldn't watch us anymore. She had a baby on her back. She was, remember her? She was just pregnant. She's right in the middle of this whole thing with us. And she told an interpreter, she said, I can't believe you people are helping me do this. And she became a follower of Christ because of the things that we had in common that we, I have kids. I want to make sure my kids are taken care of. I have something that you need, not American stuff. We have Jesus. And because we met a little bit of an earthly need and we were a little empathetic and we showed that we cared, changed that woman's life forever. That's what Jesus did to the woman at the well. We have something in common, it's water. But I want to give you water where you'll never thirst again. I know you're not married. Way to not be a liar. Good job. You have six husbands and the last guy that you're with, you're not even married to, you know? And we look at that and say, Jesus was accusing. No, he wasn't. He was telling her, I know you and I love you anyway. And I love you anyway. Jesus made her an offer he couldn't refuse. Jesus spoke the truth in love. And listen, being, uncomf being uncomfortable with, with people's uncomfortable lives, we just got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay if we meet somebody that doesn't stand up during the national anthem. Oh! <gasps> I would never. That's so anti-American. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. But we get, they don't, they don't salute the, listen, I'm as American as American can be. But isn't it more important that somebody's a follower of Christ? But we let that separate and we get offended. Well, I tell you what, Christians are more known by what they're offended at than what they're for. And we've got to be careful not to get on that hobby horse of being mad at everybody. Don't let everybody see how mad you are. It's okay, to be, it's okay to be offended at that stuff. I don't like to see that stuff either. I don't think a multi-gazillionaire should be able to play football if they do that. But here's the thing. He's got stuff in his life just like I have stuff in his life. And you know what happened to, to a lot of the people that are going through some of that stuff? They're representing a life that's a mess and mom no better. You know? When we were walking through the streets of London, big first world problem here, we saw folks with the, the black dress, with the, with the mask across their face, with the black across, and you could barely see their eyes. I'm uncomfortable with that as an American. I'm uncomfortable with that. But I got to stop that because that person needs to see Jesus Christ in me. That person needs to see Jesus. We have to be okay 
to be uncomfortable. I was driving home from taking Emily to school, and there's a big, there's a huge, huge banner or billboard coming down um, I-44 heading towards Oklahoma. And it says, marriage is intended for one man and one woman. Go to marriage.org. Marriage is not for Adam and Steve. It's for the, and it's just this big thing, you know, where Christians are letting the whole world, they know they're offended. They're not offending us. They need Jesus. Jesus will do what we can't do. Change their hearts, change their life, change their forever. But we get afraid by that kind of stuff. You can tell by how quiet it is in the room right now. Time for a good joke. All right. The disciples brought food back to Jesus. You know what the woman brought? People. You got to meet this guy. He told me about every person I'm sleeping with right now. That's what the scripture says. He told me about every person I'm sleeping with right now. You got to come. So what happened? A crowd of people came. Disciple, hey, we got fish and loaves of bread and juice boxes, Jesus. We're here. We're ready to eat some lunch. Woo! This woman said, you got to meet this guy that told me everything about myself. He's a prophet. He's the Messiah. He'll change your life just like he changed mine. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, and I'll pray. Number one, do others see the real thing in you? Not that you go to church, not that you're goody two-shoes, not that you pay your taxes, not that you have a clean car, not that you have a good house. The, all that, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But the, when they talk to you, are they experiencing somebody that is a real believer, follower of Christ, who knows your life was changed because of the forgiveness and grace demonstrated to you by Jesus? Here's my last question. I'm going to pray right now. You ready? Who was the last person that you offered living water to? Thank you.